You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Varallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. These are your hosts, Alex Varallo and Dylan Terriman on, on the wet, uh, waiver wire here. And uh, it's been a couple weeks for us, but we're back. Um, we've had some scheduling errors uh, over the last couple weeks, and I had some time off. But uh, we are back, and we are ready to talk some Jet sports here. Dylan, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing well. Yeah, you mentioned we've been gone for a couple weeks. It, it feels like a long time. It's only been three weeks. It feels like a lot longer. But glad we were able to uh, take a step back, breathe a little bit after the draft, get some family time in. Uh, I personally went through a move on draft weekend, so I was – you know, wrapping up the back end of all that stuff. So, you know, good to take a little break, but we had a good amount of news, not like crazy amount of news, but some good news come out about the Jets. So we're back and ready to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've got a few topics tonight that we're going to go over. Um, we still have a uh, rookie that we would like to talk about uh, near the back end of the draft. Uh, there's some uh, rumors in regards to free agents that the Jets are interested in, but nothing has happened. We have not seen any announcements on free agent signings, but there is a couple intriguing players that have been mentioned over the last couple weeks that we're going to touch touch on. We're also going to review the schedule that was just released not too long ago, and we're going to do a way-too-early season prediction just based on what we see on paper and uh, there was also some comments that were made about the Jets. Uh, basically, somebody crapped all over the Jets with their season prediction, and we will get into that later into the show, uh, but we do want to share our thoughts on, on that individual's opinions. And then lastly, uh, we're going to just talk about, you know, maybe some players that the Jets should, you know, go after uh, before they get into, uh, you know, mini camp and OTAs are going on right now. And then training camp's not going to be for another couple months. But uh, there's still some players out there that the Jets should target. And uh, we'll briefly talk a little bit about OTAs as well. But to uh, start off the show, I would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social, for their support. If you are a business owner and you're looking to improve your company's social media status, go to Mile Social and see what they can do for your company today. Okay, Dylan, so uh, the last time we did a pod, we were talking about our new rookies that were acquired, and we still had a couple players left to talk about. Um, I personally did not get to see uh, too much uh, film on either player, but I did get a little bit of time penciled in. And uh, why don't we take a little bit of time here and talk about what we saw from Mike Clemens, one of our last picks in the draft, uh, potential defensive lineman and pass rusher for Robert Sala. You want to kick us off, Dylan? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Michael Clemens, you said it, uh, fourth round pick, 117th overall. He was the 
the seventh and final pick of the 2022 draft class. Edge rusher from Texas A&M. His measurables are 6'5 and 2'8", 263 pounds, so he's gigantic. Uh, 10-inch hands, 34 and 7 eighths arms, and 83 and 1 eighths wingspan, which is third longest of de- defensive linemen at the Combine. Uh, he ran a 4.8540 with a 1.6510, so pretty average for especially a guy his size. It's on the above average side. Um, more pro day in combine stats: 7.213 cone, 4.45 shuttle, 9 foot 8 inch broad, 35 inch vert, 24 bench reps. So pretty average and you know, slightly above average in most of those categories. Um, 2021, he had seven sacks. 11 tackles for loss, and 32 tackles uh, for his career at Texas A&M, which I believe was two and a half seasons worth of games. He had 12 and a half total sacks, 20 and a half total tackles for loss, and 93 total tackles. He also had two passes defense, a forced fumble, fumble recovery, and a touchdown. And the touchdown was pretty pretty stylish, if I do say so myself. He did like a little backward turn in the end zone. It was pretty pretty funny NFL street style. Um, I watched two games of him post-draft. Um, I had only seen highlights and clips of him before the draft process, which is why we took so long to talk about him. Uh, I watched Mississippi State and Alabama. Uh, our, our guy Glenn said that Alabama was a good game for him, and I agree it was. Uh, I wrote down he needs a, a few more moves in his toolbox, he had a good bull rush, two-hand swipe, and a rip and dip that I thought he, he used well. I thought he might have overused them because they might have been his only tricks in the bag, so to speak. So I think he can, as he gains more in the toolbox, he'll be able to learn how to win more ways. Uh, he played the four technique, the five technique, and the wide nine, so true edge. And most likely he's only going to play the five and the nine for Salah. Um, he has a high motor, super disruptive against the pass. He really never gives up on any plays. He had a chase down against Brian Robinson in the Alabama game that realistically I didn't see a safety back there who could make the play with their angle on him and and uh, Clemens chasing down from behind. So I thought that was pretty impressive. And then the last, last two things I wrote are designated pass rusher with a question mark. Um, I did see him make some plays in the run. Uh, I just wonder if Sala sees his, you know, tenacity – in the pass rush side of it and says, hey, I want to use you as a situational guy only. And then the last little comment I wrote, and we joke about it in our group chat, is uh, ass and legs. This guy is ass and legs. Um, I, I said the same thing about Travis Jones when I was down at the Senior Bowl. And, and with Clemens, it's funny. You look at him going up against some of the tackles that he went up against in college and his, you know, his trunk, his just waist and thighs are just bigger than the offensive linemen and some of the defensive tackles even on Texas A&M he was just you just knew where he was I at least for me I wasn't looking for number two on the back I was looking for for big thick thighs so I think Michael Clemens is is a good fit for what they want they've all they've talked him up since the second they signed this guy so you know he comes in he's like a little monotone so he doesn't really you know come in as like a rah-rah I'm, I'm really going to fire it up type of uh, mentality. But I think from everything we've heard, there's like a, a, a hidden beast that just comes out when he puts the pads and helmet on. So I'm excited for him. I was a little low on the pick at the time, but I'm coming back around to it. I think it's like a C plus, maybe a B minus just due to how 
how much of a rotational piece he is going to be. Obviously, there's a, a lot of talented edge rushers ahead of him on the depth chart. So I think if he can come in and make the plays when he's asked to, that's more than enough from a fourth-round pick. And, and, and ultimately, I came around and was, uh, liked him more than I thought I would when I turned the film on. So Michael Clemens is a good pick for me. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with a lot of the things that you had said there. Um, I came away pretty much, you know, feeling the same sentiments as far as his ability to be a designated pass rusher. Uh, one thing that I did notice a lot mm-hmm. is that he was not uh, used as much in first and second down. Uh, when they were deploying a three-man defensive front. Uh, he was present when they would run four-man fronts on first and second down. But when they went to, you know, a 3-3 or a 3-4 base, um, depending on, you know, uh, what the scheme was, he was not on the field. And uh, when it was third long situations um, with a three-man or four-man front, he was definitely there. Um I did notice that he played majority of his snaps over at the left defensive um, end position, which was over the right tackle. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was an occasional time where he was lining up against the left tackle and stand up. So you could see that, you know, he was probably better utilized against the, on the left side of the defense, attacking the right side of the offense. Now, most people would say that your best pass rusher usually goes up against the left tackle. Um, I don't know if, you know, if that's still the traditional thought process on the position, but a lot of people seem to think that that has some sort of weight to it when you're evaluating a player. Uh, but I do agree as far as, you know, him being an absolute specimen, um, huge arms, uh, really, really good hands. Um, as Todd Bowles would say, he's got heavy hands, and I think that is uh, due to his, uh, work ethic in the gym, you can definitely tell that he has not skipped many uh, lifting days. Um, his his frame is just immense, and uh, that will definitely stand out when uh, when you see him lined up against other players. Uh, you know, he's a rookie, a fourth-round pick. Uh, it's still a valuable pick being inside that, you know, top 120 but I do not see him taking away anybody's position, starting position, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, when you're looking at the depth chart here, um, he'd absolutely be a rotation guy, uh, you know, possibly somebody that's just, you know, a body to help uh, against the offense and, you know, keep Zach Wilson and company on their toes. Uh, I don't think that this is a bad thing because you do need depth when it comes down to uh, – you know, the trenches. So I like what I saw with certain aspects of uh, Michael Clemens, but I'm not anticipating that he goes in and steals anybody's starting job. Uh, But at the end of the day, you have to like the physical tools that he has. You know, as you mentioned, uh, his rips and his uh, chops and swim moves, uh, very, very active, very effective in that manner. Uh, very strong as far as the bull rush is concerned. Uh, you know, flexibility and things like that, when they talk about the bend, I did see it in some cases, but not in many. Uh, I just think that, that he's very, very young. He's raw. 
And, you know, the only alarming thing is is that he did have uh, some off-the-field issues as far as, you know, tickets and not having a, a, a license that was valid. And it just seems that he had a short timeline of a very, very unfortunate series of events. But, you know, most people, when they have situations like that in their life, they learn a lot, they grow from it, and they become better people. So clearly that's what the Jets are thinking. A lot of people may be putting red flags with his off-the-field issues, but when you're looking at what he does on the field, he's very, very tenacious. And I think that Robert Sala will find a way to harness that and use him as a situational pass rusher, kind of like you said, uh, Dylan. So I'm definitely intrigued to see his trajectory over the next couple years. Any other uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I was really glad that you mentioned specifically not being there on first and second down, like the quote-unquote running downs. And uh, according to PFF, I pulled up just his weekly snap counts, uh, pass versus rush. And in 2021, he only broke – 25 or more running snaps twice in the season week four he had 35 and week 11 he had 40 but there were multiple times in the 2021 season where he played like 18 run snaps nine run snaps 10 run snaps 17 run snaps Mm -hmm. so he's definitely not a player that um has a ton of experience against the run maybe that does change in the nfl i agree with you that i think there will definitely want to be more of a rotational pass rusher with him. So I thought that was interesting. You mentioned specifically first and second down. I'd like to see the splits, but just the fact that he didn't break 25 other than two times is, is you know enough for me to say, yes, yeah, situational pass rusher. Right. Um, there's draft breakdowns and there's condensed film out on YouTube where you can find, you know, this, offensive line versus, you know, this defensive line. Those mm-hmm. were the films that I had been watching, and I got to see a few of them. They're, you know, anywhere between 15 to 20-minute clips. Let's be honest, you know, you're talking about three-hour games. You're talking about players, you know, according to their snap count, maybe out there 30 to 40% of the time. Just too much film to try to watch every single game. So kudos to those guys that would find a way just to show the guys in the trenches, you know, I'd rather watch the same game in a condensed film, you know, three times rather than try to rewind, fast forward, pause, Mm -hmm. and go back and forth trying to find, you know, Clemens on the field for 30 snaps out of, you know, God knows how many that, you know, in the total game. So really, really like going to do that. But that was just one of the notes that I came up with you know, first down, not on the field. You know, second down, not on the field. Third down, there he is. So, uh, you know, great numbers, good good stats you found there, Dylan, as far as, you know, the snap caps against the run. Perhaps, you know, if we were to say that if he does have a downfall in his game, is that he maybe is not as fluid or doesn't have the head um, you know, the mental aspect of the game of diagnosing plays you know, when you see third and long, you know that you can pin your ears back and try to get after the quarterback. When you're talking third and short, third and five, there's options there. You know, I saw some plays against, uh, I think it was against Oklahoma was one of the games that I had watched, and they did a little bit of RPO. 
he, you know, took the cheese, as they would say, and got lost in a few right. things. And when you, you have a mobile quarterback like that that has the ability to do those certain things, you really have to have, you know, your head on and you have to be able to know your assignment and everyone else's assignments in a very, very short amount of time because if you blow your assignment, it can really, really hurt your team. And we do have plenty of mobile quarterbacks in our own conference alone and that we will be going up against throughout the course of the season. So it's very, very important that you have players that have good sideline to sideline and lateral ability when it comes to certain things like that. So uh, maybe that is one of the downfalls to Clemens play and his upside is when we need somebody to get after the quarterback, he could be a good threat for our defense. But uh, let's move on. And uh, I just want to briefly talk about um, some free agent rumors that I saw a couple weeks ago, Dylan, I was kind of hoping that a signing of one of these two players would have went down by now. Uh, It has not happened, so perhaps negotiations have stalled. Offers are still being thought out. Let's just be honest. The Jets have not been a competitive team over the last couple years, and these two individuals that I am referring to is defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi and linebacker Quan Alexander. Quan Alexander is someone that I've been talking about a lot this offseason. I really thought that he would be a good fit for the Jets, having familiarity with San Francisco and Robert Sala's defense, and then bringing in another potential Pro Bowl caliber defensive tackle into this mix, with which is a very crowded room. Why not? Uh, I saw a baldy breakdown of uh, Ogunjobi, and he had some very, very athletic plays for a defensive tackle. Some of the plays that he had keyed in on was plays against the very, very elusive uh, Lamar Jackson from Baltimore. There were some plays where he was the only man that was around in order to take him down, and in most cases, Lamar Jackson would win that matchup. Ogunjobi happened to take him down. Very, very cool to see that kind of athleticism from a defensive tackle. So I'm really kind of hoping that the Jets figure out a way to bring in these individuals to to give you guys some, you know, career stats here. Logan Joby's had a combined 229 tackles with 41 of them coming from behind the the line of scrimmage. You know, that's nearly – Uh, 25% of his tackles are behind the line of scrimmage. He's got 53 uh, quarterback hits and and 21.5 sacks for a defensive tackle. Really not that bad. Uh, Again, crowded room, so who knows if, if it's money or if the Jets are saying we'd really like to have this player but we're comfortable with what we have. But we saw how things panned out last year defensively, and it doesn't seem like you can't have enough of those guys. I've talked about Kwan Alexander numerous times, so I, I won't go too far deep into it besides the fact that he's an experienced linebacker. I think you put him next to C.J. Mosley, and those two guys can really, really get this defense to the next level that we want to see. Last year was atrocious with what we saw defensively, and I do feel bringing in a player of his caliber uh, would be 
just completely great for this team, bringing up these young players, helping them develop, and also teaching some guys like, uh, you know, Jeremiah Sherwood and Hamza Nasseroldin, these young guys coming into their second year that are hoping to be starting linebackers for Robert Sala one day. You bring in vets like that that can help them learn this defense and this philosophy even more so. I really, really like the concept behind that. Uh, Dylan, I'll throw it to you. Any thoughts about, you know, potentially signing one of these players or potentially both of these players? Would that intrigue you at all? Yeah, I'm definitely in favor of signing signing probably just one. I don't know if um, financially the Jets could make both work. Uh, last time I checked spot rack and uh, updating my chart after Jeremy Ruckert's deal went through, the Jets were sitting at like just under $7 million in cap space. And obviously you wow. want to leave some room in case, you know, emergency situations happen and you need to sign a veteran. And that could be a situation where Ogan Joby or Quan Alexander could come into play. Um, obviously we saw what happened last year with Carl Lawson going down um, in practice and they needed to pivot. I don't think they made a splash or not a splash, but a, a, a signing at the position after the, injury, but that could happen, say, you know, C.J. Mosley goes down or uh, Sheldon Rankins goes down. They can look to sign an Ogunjobi or a Quan Alexander to potentially fill that void. Um, I think they should do it anyway just because linebacker is such a weak, uh, weak position on paper for them that Quan Alexander fits. Um, you, you, you mentioned it. We, we've both been talking about Quan Alexander in this defense probably since Salah got hired and, you know, every Jets fan started looking up San Francisco free agents. We were like, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy would work. And and I'm looking at his career stats. He only had 13 games in the system with Salah in San Francisco before he was traded to New Orleans. So there's not, like, a ton of crossover with him. But I still think the impact he could make over, like, a Quincy Williams or a Sherwood or Nazarel Dean even a Marcel Harris, who they just recently signed, um, I think he would have a bigger impact. It probably comes with a bigger dollar as well. But I think for the type of player that you could potentially be signing at the, almost the beginning of June part of free agency, Ogan Joby and Quan Alexander are at the top of their position. You shared the Ogan Joby baldy breakdown. And not only was it against Lamar Jackson, there was a lot of clips against the Cowboys going up against um, – left guard Connor Williams, who is now the guard in Miami with the Dolphins. And the first thing I said mm. was, all right, run it back. Let's let's get Ogan Joby on the Jets and Connor Williams on the Dolphins and let's have him get after two of the same way he was getting after back. So, yeah, I'm definitely in favor of either one. I, don't, I can't say right now who I would prefer because I think they're both uh, impactful in their own ways. But looking at Ogan Joby's stats that you have written down here, I'm impressed. 21 and a half sacks over a five-year career as a defensive lineman or defensive tackle, rather. Like, you're averaging four mm-hmm. sacks a season. That's great. Like, I'll take that. There were yeah. seasons where Quinn Williams had four sacks, and we were like, oh, like, maybe he could have done better, but, like, that's a good start for him. And I would take that from an Ogan Joby type of signing, like I said, in the June part of free agency. So, yeah, I'm on board. Get, get some defensive leadership as much as possible and rally these guys to not be the 32nd-ranked defense in any category this year. Absolutely. All right, so uh, 
let's uh, pivot over to the OTAs as they have been going down. This is the voluntary uh, sessions that the Jets have uh, been hosting down in Florham Park. And there's a particular player that continues to keep coming up, and that is Makai Becton, uh, that he has not been present. And for those of you who may not know about this story, um, I don't think it's a story. I just think that this is just something that the media likes to do right. every year. Uh, they, they pick a different player uh, to try to stir up a little drama, let's say. Um, the offseason can get a little bit boring and laggard sometimes with the way that the stories come out. And if there isn't trade rumors or signings or, you know, big splash, you know, free agent uh, guys coming for visits, there's really not too much to talk about. But the line, I mean, the light has been shined on Becton. What people may not know is that he is expecting to be a father. So he is with his family and his wife. And that is a special moment. Uh, If you ever listen to somebody our father that was not able to be there, you know, things happen and they weren't there for the delivery of their firstborn child or a child in general. It's not a great moment and they wish that they could be there. Becton does not want to risk having to come leave his home, be up here for a voluntary practice where it's very, very limited in which, you know, what they're doing. They're just trying to see who's in shape, who's in not, guys that are still not familiar with the system or the playbook, they try to help them get up to speed. At this point in time, I don't think it's big news. Uh, I'm happy with what Becton's been doing. He's been pretty active as far as showing his off-season routine with Duke Mayweather, and I think he's going to come back, and he's going to make people pay for ever doubting him him whatsoever. And then another um, uh article that I had saw was that George Fant had his knee scoped at the end of last season. So he's been rehabbing and working out and kind of just going slow about the process. Uh, He does feel that he will be able to be a full participant when training camp rolls around, but this is probably our first uh, news outbreak on, on particular players of note that have a little bit of an injury concern going on right now. So, Dylan, your thoughts on Becton and fan situation uh, with OTAs? Yeah, I'm fully on board with you as far as the Mackay Becton thing. Um, until anything is mandatory, I'm not going to, you know, criticize anybody for not showing up to an unpadded practice where a lot of times it's just some walkthroughs where guys, like, they wear flip-flops, you know? Like, they're not – Maybe they're doing a little bit more than that right now in this particular portion of the off season. But I mean, like you said, expecting a child. I don't have a kid. Um, I have the closest thing I have is my nephew, and I saw him the day after he was born, and I still felt like as the uncle that wasn't soon enough. You know, like I wanted to be there, not in the room obviously, but you know, right away. So I could only imagine any father or expecting father would want to be as close as possible, as hands-on as possible, and good for him. He shouldn't leave his his wife, girlfriend, I'm not exactly sure what their status is. They, he should never leave her in that term of her pregnancy anyway to go do something that, like you said, is voluntary. So I feel like until the June 14th, 15th, and 16th, when there's three days of mandatory minicamp, 
sure, then we can start talking about this being a, a potential problem. Uh, I don't look at it as he's, you know, out of shape or he's, you know, not showing up because he doesn't want to step on a scale in front of the coaches or whatever the case is. He's been training with Duke, Manny Weather, and it's well documented that he gets those guys ready to work. Um, obviously, injuries play a part of everybody's career, good or bad. It's all luck in that in that perspective, and he's had bad injury luck. So if he needs to take time away from the field, so that he can be on the field when it counts long-term, I'm cool with that, you know? And I, I also like what Rob Sala has said about the bigs in OTAs. He said they're doing a lot of seven-on-seven seven work. They're not doing full team, full go, because they're scarred. Right. They saw what happened to Carl Lawson. They know that that can't happen this year. If that were to happen to like right. a Quinn and Williams or – or an AVT type or Lake and Tomlinson, our new addition. Like if that were to happen again, like you could just hear Jets fans, Oh, the season's over. Like let's, let's start looking to the draft. And, and it's funny. Right. You mentioned how storylines just pop up from reporters and this and that. It seems like they pick a player every year and it happens in the draft too. So we shouldn't be surprised that they carry it over to the regular teams in the NFL and they're obviously just going to pick a player and it draws attention to the Jets sure but it's negative attention at the end of the day and the Jets don't need any of that so yep. that's where I stand with Becton uh, Fant yeah he does have a knee scope um, I don't know if he's missed the end of 2021 a little bit I don't remember exactly but um, yeah he's it's minor they said it, the, the scope was minor not going to you know hinder him any so again being on on your feet in a voluntary setting is not worth it. Yeah, he ended on uh, IR. He didn't play against Buffalo the last week of the season. So I assume that is similar similar injury. It's his knee. So, yeah, keep these guys rested. Uh, Max Mitchell, you drafted a fourth-round tackle for a reason. Mm-hmm. Let this guy get all the reps, left or right side. It doesn't really matter. Just get him reps. Uh, McDermott, if you need to get him reps, he needs them. So definitely – they have a next man up mentality. It sounds cliche, but like that's what they're going to do. And with unpadded, unhelmeted practices, nobody's really missing anything. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I stand with that. And I think it's honestly a good thing. Like I was mentioning with the the less digs and more seven on seven. I think that's going to be great because defense is so demanding up front that they're straining their bodies for 20 weeks of the season, 22 weeks of the season, really now with. Uh, extended season so yeah just keep these guys healthy and let's get get through OTAs without a a practice being closed early due to a catastrophic injury yep yep 100, 100% there so uh, this will bring us into our last discussion of the night we're going to get into the uh, NFL uh, schedule release and you know, we just had a couple fun things that we wanted to do. Uh, Brady Quinn was one of the individuals that I was referring to about somebody crapping all over the Jets. And uh, I'm not going to lie, Dylan, I don't have the exact same um, outcome as Brady, but I do think it's going to be a rocky road for the first nine weeks of the season. I think that the mm-hmm. level of competition is front-loaded in our, uh, you know, first half of the season, and then things should be a little bit more competitive on the second half. 
And it it's just kind of seems like this is always what happens with the Jets. They always start out slow. They play their toughest opponents. They stink. We we start getting frustrated. And then right around week nine, week ten, throughout the close of the season, they start playing better football. And then we start believing again. And then it carries over. And it's almost like this toxic cycle that we do to ourselves every single year. But Brady Quinn has us being 1-8 or 0-9 to start the season. That's pretty alarming. He seems to think that our year is going to be over before it even starts. That's not his verbatim quote, but that's more or less how he threw it out there. A lot of people came to defend the honor of the Jets, but, you know, looking at this, this schedule right here, you know, just to mention the first six games, we start off with the Ravens the Browns, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Dolphins, and the Packers. Now, the way that I was looking at this here is if Deshaun Watson is there, that's a problem for us. If Deshaun Watson happens to have some sort of punishment from Goodell because people seem to think that even though he may be unscathed from the legal system, you could still get a punishment from the commissioner if he warrants it and feels that it's valid, he could still come down and do his thing and change the whole outcome for the Brown season. So that game definitely changes things. And then the only other two games in the first six that I think may be reasonable for the Jets is possibly going up against a rookie quarterback, Kenny Pickett, at the Steelers, and possibly the Jets getting the advantage um, and getting a little bit of home cooking against the Dolphins in New York. So those were the only two games I could see out of the first six that the Jets could win. And then after that, before we get to our bye week, we have the the, the Packers already had mentioned. And we got the Broncos, the Patriots, the Bills, and then week 10 we finally get a bye. So I don't have many wins chalked up up, up until the uh, bye week, Dylan, um, I currently have the Jets at 2-7, and seven, so that's why I said I'm not too far off the beaten path from where Brady is. I do feel a lot more hopeful about what the Jets have done this year, and, uh, you know, this is a May 24th prediction, and a lot can happen between now and September. But um, what's your overall thoughts about, you know, the strength of this schedule? Um, do you think it's a fair schedule? And, uh, you know, what games are you most excited about seeing, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, I think every team can argue if it's going to be a fair or unfair schedule for them, especially from a fan's perspective. Um, It's obviously not an easy start by any means. Like you said, it's, it's kind of a gauntlet when you strictly look at quarterbacks that you're facing. Lamar Jackson... Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen. That's seven, six quarterbacks in the first nine games that are, you know, elite, almost, you know, borderline elite quarterbacks. So, obviously, it's going to look tough on paper. Uh, I think the same thing could be said about the Jets last year, that their schedule didn't look favorable on paper when it came out in mid-May. And they started two and five with wins over the Titans and the Bengals, who ended up being a 
Super Bowl loser and future number one seed in the AFC and the Titans. So anything truly can happen. Um, Baltimore is a tough draw week one. Uh, obviously, it's at home, so that helps. They're a team coming off a ton of injuries, so that also helps because we don't know exactly what they will look like. You know, first week back, they had, I think, the most number of players on IR last year, which is a common trend for the Ravens. I don't know. they got to figure it out over there health-wise, but they're a good team when they're healthy on paper, so that's a tough draw. You said it. If Deshaun Watson's not there week two, let's go ahead and we'll say it's a win against uh, Jacoby Brissett. Who knows? They could keep Baker Mayfield and, you know, be pulling the big brain move and keeping Baker Mayfield for when Deshaun Watson gets suspended. We never know. Uh, Cincinnati, obviously we beat them last year, but let's not get too ahead of ourselves and say, well, we we have the Bengals number. Um, Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. you mentioned it. Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky. Truthfully, just looking at the quarterbacks, I think Zach Wilson's better than both of those quarterbacks. Obviously, it's a team game. The Steelers are a great defense. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's winnable for sure. So let's just go positive and say that's two wins. Uh, Miami at home, week five. If if Joe Douglas gets his first divisional win this year, I'll be so happy because 0-12 just looks absolutely disgusting on his record as a general manager. So that's three wins. Uh, Green Bay and Denver, that's a really tough stretch. Um, You did ask what I was most excited for, and I think these two games are what I'm most excited for specifically. Uh, Two of my closest friends are Broncos and Packers fans. So uh, we obviously tried to, like, plan out tickets and see how much it would cost, and it was like $1,000 to go to both Wisconsin and Denver. So it's probably out of the cards. But I think just looking at the teams and what they could mean for the Jets, like if they lose these games close, like I don't know, you remember the Darnold game in 2018 against the Packers. They lost like 34-31, to and it literally might have been Darnold's best game of his entire career to date. So – that's a game that I'm like, okay, can Zach Wilson do the same thing? Keep it close. Maybe we do lose, but it's like a loss that you don't feel, oh, man, like we just got our asses kicked type of loss. And then Denver, mm-hmm. obviously Russell Wilson's new. He's a good quarterback, but he's new. He's got to adjust. Week six or week seven is a good time to get that. He's still adjusting. He could he could be in full swing. We never know. But the Broncos were the ugliest loss for the Jets last year. They got blanked 26 to nothing. I don't think they crossed midfield until midway through the fourth quarter. It was absolutely disgusting. We couldn't do anything on offense. So that's a game that I circled as I want to see a much better, at least, performance. I'm not looking for a dub. I'm just looking for a better performance all around from this team and not get blank 26 to nothing. So, yeah, first half of the season up until the bye week. Then you have Minnesota, uh, New England and Buffalo. And I think, yeah, three, mm-hmm. maybe four wins on a high side. Obviously, we could do the Brady Quinn route and say 0-9 because that's easy and we're the Jets and everybody likes to pile on us. But I don't right. see 0-9. I don't really see 1-8, to be honest. Like you said, 2-7. and seven. I think that's like the absolute floor. If they, don't, if they go into the bye week with less than two wins, questions are going to be raised. And I just, I don't think it's there. Oh yeah. Um, Brady Quinn also said he's not a believer in Zach Wilson and what, whether you are or aren't, I think this season hinges on him. And if he can make a step, which every outlet has been saying, you know, second year quarterbacks, he's the one that should make the jump. And I believe it too. So yeah, I would say three to four going into the bye and then coming out, 
I mean, you get not cupcakes, but like after the last Buffalo game, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, Miami, all these guys mm-hmm. are in the bottom six, bottom seven as far as Vegas odds to uh, not win the Super Bowl, but just be relevant, really. Like, so yeah. you could steal, you could steal Minnesota, you could potentially steal in New England. I'm not going to say they're going to go into Gillette and steal a win in New England, but maybe on the home, on the home New England game. Um, right. And then yet yeah, those last four, if you can't win three of those last four, and I think that's all that counts is how you end the season. Nobody's going to remember, you know, the Adam Gase one and nine because they remember the, the back half of the 2019 season where they went like six and two or whatever it was. So it's tough when you do bad at first, but if you end well and don't end poorly after a poor finish, people will look at the Jets and say, wow, they got to six or seven wins, let's say seven on a high side or, you know, middle, middle of ex- expectations. If they go seven and ten, I think that's great if you win three of your last four, you know. So it can go either way. I, I'm not going to say it's unfair for the Jets. We have a fourth-place schedule. This is probably the easiest it could be. We're playing last teams in, their, in all respective divisions. It just doesn't help that most other divisions' fourth best team is better than us on paper. So you can cut it yep. how you will. Yeah. I think I think it's a good schedule for the Jets to prove their worth in a loaded conference in the AFC. Yes, and you know as you mentioned in those last the the last four games, the, the final month of the season for the Jets, I have them going four zero and finishing out the season. Uh, undefeated within the last four weeks, they should absolutely right. come away with all those games. You know what games excite me the most? I mean, clearly, it would be cool. I would say the most exciting game would be if the Packers were playing us at home. One last chance to see Aaron Rodgers up close mm-hmm. and personal. That would have been would have been a lot of fun. Uh, but the games that I am very excited about is the Chicago Bears game watching Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, you know, the young quarterbacks of the future going up against each other. And then again, uh, going up against a very young quarterback in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think that that would be really, really cool um, looking at potentially what the future holds with a lot of these new young faces that have come into the fold within the last year or two. So those are the two games that I'm excited about. Uh, not a lot of primetime games for the Jets. You know, they have an ESPN game uh, against the Falcons in the preseason, and uh, then they have a Thursday night game against Jacksonville, and I don't know if there's anything else penciled in as far as primetime games for them. And uh, to be honest with you, the Jets haven't played competitive football to earn those primetime games, so I'm looking forward to them earning those games. And I have it written now as a – eight and nine season, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be a rough road um, in the beginning. And I think it gets better in the second half, kind of like we've seen from some other seasons, the one that you just mentioned where they went six and two in the second half of the regular season after that God awful start with Adam Gase, where people were just ready to uh, throw Molotov cocktails at, you know, one jets drive. But, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be rough to start. I think there's going to be some promise. And then I think on the back end of the season, we're going to see, you know, a lot more potential. Guys will be in football shape. 
the new players will begin to gel with the new philosophies and schemes, and I think we'll see a better product in the second half than we do right away. The only thing I'm really looking forward to seeing in the first half of the season is competing against some of these better teams. You know, when you're talking about teams that are, you know, playoff potential, you know, Ravens and Browns, believe it or not, they've been knocking on the door. They've been to a couple play, had a couple playoff appearances within the last couple of years. They're getting an upgrade from, you know, Baker Mayfield to a Deshaun Watson, like we said earlier, unknown with his status for the beginning of the year with all of his legal stuff going on. The former Super Bowl champs, that's going to be tough. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers, a lot of, you know, tough games. Russell Wilson, as you had mentioned. And uh, the Bills seem to have our number and sort of the Patriots. So, good, poor first half, better second half of the season is what I'm predicting at 8-9. Dylan, do you have a uh, season prediction, a way-too-early season prediction, I should say? Yeah, yeah, way-too-early. Let's put emphasis on way-too-early because I think there's a range of, you know, number of wins. I think it's anywhere from six to nine wins, truthfully, that they could get, and I wouldn't be terribly shocked. Obviously, six is underperforming, but nine is like, oh, wow, we're actually doing what Joe Douglas wanted and playing meaningful games in December. Whether we make the playoffs or not, I think that'd be a great step forward. I'm going to land somewhere in the middle, uh, seven and ten. I think that's – it's. I don't know, it's so tough because you look at the schedule and you can find more than seven wins. But, again, we're looking on paper in the last week of May. So once it gets into it, I feel like once, you know, the team starts, you know, having the ebbs and flows and we can see the hot streaks and who's performing, I think we'll have a better, you know, sense of it, obviously. But, yeah, right now I think seven wins is comfortable. Um, I hope for more. I hope eight or nine. I hope you said eight and nine is, is your prediction. I hope. They can get to eight, even nine wins. That would be fantastic. But I think I have to settle for seven right now just because I'm such a believe-it-until-I-see-it type of person with this franchise now. Yeah. As much as the Jets have done as far as, you know, bringing in a Pro Bowl offensive lineman in, uh, forgive me, our, our new left guard, Tomlinson, uh, they go out and they bring in two veteran tight ends. Uh, they add some good guys on the defensive front. We're getting back a Carl Lawson. They had a really, really exciting first round of their draft. They bring in a new weapon in Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall for, for Zach and then also Jeremy Ruckert, a potential future starting tight end to add to the mix here even with all these pieces that the Jets have brought in, they still have a lot of work to do. They still have a lot to prove, and nothing has been set in stone yet. Uh, we have been through these off-seasons where media outlets say the Jets did great. They they owned the draft. They killed it. They've had a great off-season, and then somehow it doesn't come together when Sunday rolls around in September and October. So, mm-hmm. like you said, we will believe it when we see it. And um, there's, there's my guard dog over there making sure that we're safe. Um, I think <laughs> this is a good time for us to close here, to apologize for Mad Max, my puppy over there. Um, he's got a big heart. Um, trust me, that, that bark is not as fierce as it may sound. 
But uh, Dylan, <laughs> any final thoughts before we close tonight? No, this is, this is a good show. I'm glad we were able to get back in. Uh, glad there wasn't any pressing news that forced us to, you know, hop back in here too quickly. We took a good time off. You know, I'm just excited. I mean, we're going to be in camp before we know it. I keep talking about it. I'm just so excited to see these guys up in person and, you know, collecting all our notes to, you know, share with the people when we get back on the pod in the middle of August. And I was looking at the, you know, just projecting what weeks the training camps would be. And I'm really hopeful that it's the Jets-Giants that do a joint practice because I think that would be great to watch the Jets and the Giants go at it you know, for those two days mm-hmm. of practice. So I'm just yep. fired up. I'm excited. I can't wait. I don't want to rush the summer, but it's, it's it's almost there. It'll come fast enough. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be a joint practice with the Falcons, which is kind of bizarre because they did that with the Eagles, and then they had to play in a preseason mm-hmm. game like days later. I think we're doing that again with the Falcons. I don't, oh, okay. I don't know if that's going to – well, it looks like it may be a home game for us. So – Maybe mm-hmm. they'll be coming to visit us, and, you know, hopefully I can get out to one of those practices before we, uh, you know, we play them in that preseason game. But, uh, yeah, you know, we got a long road ahead of us, and uh, we're looking to line up some interviews just to keep the talking points, uh, you know, relevant uh, because it's a big lull between now and August. But, uh, like you said, Dylan, glad to be back doing a show with you. Hopefully we can get Glenn on and some guests and looking forward to talking more ball. So let's cut out here and let's uh, go watch the Rangers. Hopefully they can tie up the series tonight for you hockey fans. This is a big night for us here. So we keep it all about New York, obviously when, when they're relevant and hopefully they support us when we are too. But um, this is Alex Rallo signing off for Dylan Terman. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Don't forget to go to our website, JetNation.com, download our app, and get involved in the forums, the most active fan forum in the NFL, JetNation.com. Everybody have a great week, and we will talk to you soon. As always, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at JetNationRadio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets! Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.